Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Welcome to the HLP podcast series, Cross Border Business Talks. Today we're going to be diving into the world of tax and gaming and shining a light on some of the key challenges and opportunities that we're seeing in this space. My name is Avi Spillard. I'm Head of Technology Partnerships here at HLB International. And today I'm joined by Michael Bahaya, Senior Manager, and Joshua Horowitz, Senior Tax Manager from our HLB member firm in North America, Witham. Um, so welcome everyone. And um, hi, Michael and Joshua. How you doing, Delighted to have you with us um, today. So, um, yeah, maybe makes sense, um, Michael, to kind of kick off um, with you, if that's OK. And um, just to give us kind of, a, I guess, a, a rounded overview um, of the gaming industry with particular regards to the rise that we're seeing in uh, the esports space. Sure. Well, the gaming industry, um, you know, it's it's been around a long time, but really recently we've seen a rise in competitive gaming and esports. And and really, if there was a, I don't want to call it a silver lining of the pandemic, but when everybody was home, one of the main forms of entertainment was watching someone's favorite streamer online play a game or watching an actual competition go on between two set teams. Or now we're seeing competitions go on in college. Um, I personally discovered League of Legends during the pandemic when, you know, the LPL was playing overseas. So I, I could talk from personal experience that that's how it went. Yeah, it became it became huge. I mean, if you look at it from a numbers aspect, I think in 2020, esports in general had a market value of a billion dollars. They're expecting that to be two billion by 2025 and then four billion by 2030. Uh, that's incredible growth, e even in the uh, investment sector. There was a few hundred million dollars invested into esports. I think back in 2018, you know, we're looking at a few billion dollars now in, in 2022, 2023. So the rise in the professional circuit and where money's changing hands has been growing exponentially. But where we see the a substantial amount of growth in esports is that the collegiate circuit. Um, the, the college circuit is has become um, almost like a breeding ground now for uh, like like the other traditional sports were for the new professional athletes. And the thing is, anybody can can play it right. You don't have to be the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. Anybody can set up a club at a university, um, set up a team and then join one of the three or four college conferences that are currently available and compete competitively and sometimes for what they call scholarships for money. So the, the boom has been substantial. I know my own alma mater, uh, they built a brand new esports arena. When I was in school, esports only took place in our dorm rooms, you know, after practice, you know, with baseball. Now it's it's a legitimate competitive sport in college that uh, is being taken seriously as though it should. Yeah, and competing with, um, you know, in-person sport in in the same kind of way, it's getting, um, if not overtaking in that in that aspect. So right. uh, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Thank you. Um, and so I guess, um, you know, uh, thinking about kind of the work that you do specifically and that overlap between kind of the, the growth that we're seeing within the gaming industry and where tax kind of forms a part of that. Um, what does that kind of look like in a practical sense? Um, and how is that kind of working at the moment? Um, Joshua, perhaps if I come to you. 
Sure. I mean, the tax side from a practical sense isn't much different than your normal sports that have been out there for a long time. Um, you know, the, the biggest question, and there really isn't any answer for this right now, is regarding nexus and taxability, at least in the United States, of where tournaments are held if you're an individual player. You know, if you're an individual player who lives in New York, but you're playing in a tournament in California, there's a question of if you win money, where is that taxed? Is it California? Is it New York? It, it's a very gray area at this moment, um, you know, but most players, when they play for a team, the team will have the earnings, give a K1 or W2 out to the players if they're an S Corp or they're an LLC, and um, it'll pass through down to the players uh, and they'll report it on their individual tax return, just like a professional player would. Um, yeah, from the tax standpoint, you know, luckily, you know, we have rules in place already that make it pretty seamlessly easy to to understand where where tax returns fall here. Wonderful. I was that was going to be my next question was um, where there's perhaps a little bit of a grey area and where this is kind of relatively new and growing at such a rate. Um, you know how how that regulation is keeping up and um, you know yeah where it's a grey area are things potentially falling through the gaps or is it working fairly seamlessly? Um, how is that looking really at the moment? So um, when it comes to gray areas and our government and tax code, I'd, I'd say it moves relatively slowly sometimes, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's up to the tax preparer to determine the best course of action in uh, sourcing that income. And then, you know, seeing if the states will come and pick it up and give an argument over it. Um, you know, I would argue that if you're playing online, and you win a tournament in another state, probably should be sourced to where you win it, as, you know, even if you're home. Um, but, you know, there's more complex rules on that. There are some states that have these convenience for employer rules. So New York, Connecticut, uh, there's there's two more um, that I can't really think of right now. But if you play for a team that operates in that state, even if you're playing home, all your income is sourced to that home to that state where your team's located. So there's there's additional layers of complexity on top of everything. Okay, wonderful. And sorry, forgive my ignorance, but is the majority um kind of <laughs> operating in this like team environment, or is there a lot of like, kind of individual sports? What's the makeup of the esports industry at the moment, or is it a perfect mix of both? I think it's a perfect mix of both. You know, I, on the professional level, it's it's more of a team based. But you have, you know, uh, EA Sports has been running Madden tournaments and sport tournaments for years, which are just individual players that, that win money. Um, Even if you play for a team, some of these athletes, they play for a team, the pros on the side, they also have their own streaming channel, mm -hmm. right, which is another uh, revenue source for them, right, through advertising revenue, mm -hmm. donations, contributions, uh, again, all taxable events that are going on. So it's kind of a perfect blend, depending on what the individual wants to do. Maybe the individual doesn't want to play for a team or plays in kind of a single player tournament, right? Doesn't play for a team of four. They can, it, there's a lot of, um, of latitude on what they can choose to do. Um, so that's something that kind of first came onto my radar um, was kind of during COVID, that idea of, uh, and this is mind blowing to me, uh, you know, contributions online made from complete strangers um, to kind of fund, I guess, that uh, that lifestyle. And is that stream of revenue through kind of donations and so on, is that treated differently to, um, I guess, like winning revenue or prizes as a team? Or does it all come under the same like umbrella earnings. Oh, we're coming up with loaded questions already at nine o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I love it. 
so, so typically how like a GoFundMe page works, um, at least, you know, I, I could talk from raising a, a for a film. So any donations into that film is considered income into them. Usually you have expenses to offset it, so there's no taxable income at the end of the day. Um, this would be no different if if people are donating to you to fund your your gaming adventure. Um, you know, some people could try to claim that it's a gift and try to get around that income, but that's a really gray area, and I probably would not advise. I would advise against doing that a hundred percent. But yeah, that would be normal income as revenue from winning a tournament or, you know, sponsorship income would would be. Amazing. Good, good for me to know. Um, and so, yeah, I guess um, just through the kind of the conversation, um, it's clear to me that, um, you know, the kind of the industry is moving at such a pace that often it's going to be hard for, um, you know, for the regulation and the, the understanding of this space to, to keep up at a similar rate. Um, so with that in mind, I guess, are there any kind of key like cybersecurity or wealth management concerns um, as we see this kind of rapid rise in e-gaming? Yeah, the, the cybersecurity aspect is always going to be a big, big point from the esports industry, obviously, because the field of play is completely online, right? The professional circuit kind of has it down pat. They kind of know that this is a pain point. They have a lot of money changing hands. You can go on DraftKings and, and you know, bet on your, your favorite esports team in a tournament coming up. So with that aspect, with the money changing hands, they kind of know that cybersecurity is a big issue to prevent cheating. Right. But at the collegiate circuit, this is where it, it now kind of gets disjointed, right? Because the collegiate circuit is so young, uh, they kind of don't have a code of conduct, right? Or, or a, a code of engagement for teams or players. So the cybersecurity aspect from based on the individuals that we've spoken to, it's not even on their radar yet. And really, that's kind of that's kind of the how it is with everybody in business. Nobody really thinks about the cybersecurity aspect because it's so expensive until a breach happens and now you're already past the point of no return. And uh, one thing we look at, especially in colleges, um, I can't remember the study off the top of my head, the statistical analysis of industries and where they rank in terms of cybersecurity. Universities and colleges in the states rank dead last, right? So now with the emergence of esports, you've essentially opened up a new door for hackers and you know evildoers to come in and and either hold you ransom for the various social security numbers that we know colleges have or other types of intellectual property that you might not want to get into the wrong hands it's just opening up another avenue and it'd be prudent for i'd say for the athletic directors the university cios to start thinking about this seriously because you don't want to be that first school or that first university that has a big cyber breach even on the professional level with all the cybersecurity that they have you know, we had a couple months ago, unfortunately, Riot Games had a breach, which is which runs League of Legends. So that's the largest gaming company out there for esports right now. And they were getting attacked. So if you're not thinking about this now to like insurance, if it, you do it after the fire, it's too late. So you need to you know, be on top of it and, and get ahead of it from a cybersecurity standpoint. Josh, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> the schools are really they're relying on the gaming publisher right now for their cybersecurity. They figure the publisher when you know they host the game, so it's kind of one of their MOs is to ensure that nobody's hacking and nobody's cheating. But when you're seeing in the actual marketplace that the publisher is getting hacked and held for ransom for multi-million dollars, you know, they're just as vulnerable as you are. 
and they do take it seriously. Um, do you think the um, the publishers of those games and those that are hosting, do you think there's kind of a solid awareness there and an understanding and it's the kind of the, the colleges that need to, to keep up? Um, are they kind of leading a, a positive example? Is there enough awareness? Um, what's kind of the state of play there, do you think? Um, or is it going to take a big breach um, to kind of, you know, show, unfortunately, here's a prime example and you guys better move quick. <laughs> so... Unfortunately, as businesses work in the US, it's probably going to take a big breach of a college before people take it seriously. We know the publishers take it seriously. You know, the professional circuit is very secure, as secure as it can be. You know, you're never 100% secure, um, you know, out there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I think once a big breach happens, people will say, okay, I got to look at this more seriously, even though they are aware of it, they know it exists, uh, you know, unfortunately just not a big high priority at the moment is that kind of an attitude or do you think it's um like a funding issue or i guess they've got other things on as well um combination of all of the above i don't i don't think it'd be a funding issue for universities especially stateside i mean i mean i feel like most of them are lush with cash, uh, especially the bigger universities. I, I don't think the expense is really something that shies them away. I think it's it's just the lack of awareness to it and, and not thinking that we are opening this new door um, that could potentially lead to a breach. And it's just it's not being thought about yet. It's it's being thought about how do we run the league? You know, how do we get the best players and run our team and make sure that their GPAs are there so where th that they're um, eligible to compete. I think they're thinking of those aspects right now mm -hmm. and not cybersecurity yet. But unfortunately, like Josh said, I think it's going to take a, a big breach for uh, some eyes to be open toward this. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting that, you know, they're willing to, you know, like you said, kind of build, build those arenas and, um, you know, put the funding and the support in elsewhere um, and kind of the, the, the rest needs to follow um, pretty quickly, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then, and then your other question on money management side, uh, that is something that should be taken extremely seriously for professional and collegiate players, since collegiate players are now able to earn NIL money, Name Image Likeness Act came in, and co college players can get paid for their play, um, essentially now. Um, but with esports, the retirement age is so young that there is a very short window to earn your big big check uh most the retirement age i believe is 25 right now i'm uh, past my prime <laughs> <laughs> same here yeah so same, same here past for me um, you know and and a lot of these professional players are starting at 12 13 14 years old when you know they're in their prime of being able to click a millisecond faster than anybody else um that you know you have a nine ten year gap to save four or five million dollars so that way when you retire you're able to you know live a comfortable lifestyle without you know having to worry about work um you know it's not so it's not so different than your typical nfl player you know mm -hmm. the nfl the career's three years so these guys graduate college at 22 by 25 some most of them are out of the league unfortunately um, and if you're not thinking about saving for the future and, you know, you're thinking about, oh, I got all this money now, let me go spend this. I know when I, if I was an 18 year old and I was making $2 million a year, I'd have a, a much nicer car than the Mazda I drove around. Um, <laughs> but if you're not thinking yeah. about, you know, the future, you know, I think the statistics stay after retirement, uh, three to five 
athletes in basketball go broke, four to five in football go broke. You know, it's something that as fiduciaries in the marketplace and CPAs, we try to teach our clients about being responsible, you know, with everything and how taxes work and how to make sure that should something happen, you're taken care of. Uh, and it, it, it's so to hard to, to teach teenagers and, and athletes yeah. this. I was just about to say, you know, you think back to when you were kind of, uh, you know, 17 or 18 years old, are you thinking about, you know, wealth management and, you know, how to be doing your taxes properly and how to be approaching this stuff responsibly? You think if you were handed, you know, $5 million within the short space of years, are you going to be spending that wisely and managing it properly? Um, and like you said, being able to kind of speak to that group and educate them and make sure that that's kind of heard and listened to is, um, is, is a huge challenge. So, um, you know, that responsibility perhaps almost you know sits with the colleges they've got that close relationship there and um you know they're the ones that can be you know driving that message home and providing that education if they're providing all of the other support around it as well so i I mean let me just give you some numbers to how much they actually have to save by the age of 25 this this is back a year and you know it hasn't been adjusted for the new interest rates of the world but as of 2021, if you wanted to spend $5,000 a month for the rest of your life, you'd have to save $2.8 million by the time you're 25. If you wanted to be $10,000 per month, you need 6.4, and $20,000, you need $14.1 million. So you need to really be thinking conservatively and, and you know, mm-hmm. really putting money away to save for that for the future. Because when you're 25, you have a good 50, 60, 70 years ahead of you still, and most people don't think that way. And it's really hard to teach a teenager or an early 20 something that type of lesson right there. So the universities especially really should, you know, deliver this type of education, especially if they're if they have these athletes now that are making, you know, a lot of money off off their name, image and likeness now, because this is a brand new landscape in college. And, um, you know, we'd like to see all, all these kids, all these athletes, you know, be aware to save for your retirement that it's a short lifespan. If you're gonna if you're gonna stay in this arena for a while, yeah, there's a lot of athletes in the collegiate space that are earning seven figures just on the NIL from advertising, and you know a bunch of states have expanded that to the high school level. Yep. So you have these top QBs in, in the football space landing those six figure deals in high school that are going to turn into seven figure deals in college, and by the time they're in the NFL, they're already a multi millionaire. Um, so you know the money is shifting downward it's it is great for the industry it's great for college sports um you know unfortunately i think one percent of all collegiate athletes make it to the pros so less than that um so if you are able to generate some some income while you're in college um and and start saving for your future um you know it's just a great thing for, for these athletes um, and just talking about, you know, how uh, how colleges or, you know, universities are, um, you know, perhaps struggling to keep up with with the pace of change. And we've talked around kind of education and the infrastructural support that sits around this kind of rel- relatively new space. Um, when it comes to regulation, do you think um, that's keeping up with, with the pace of change and the pace of growth? Are there still some significant gaps? Um, it, it's a hard space to regulate, I imagine. 
at the collegiate circuit, it's very hard to regulate because you have four or five conferences with different rule sets in each one of them. So it's it's not like NCAA football where everybody plays by the same rules, regardless of what school you're in. Uh, and that mainly comes because the NCAA wanted nothing to do with esports in 2019. They wanted to kick the can down the road. Um, but if anybody knows the NCAA, uh, when they see the amount of money that's in this industry and the amount of money that's going to be changing hands through gambling, I'd say it's a certainty that one day they're going to revisit this and want to come back to it. Because if there's a dollar to be made, they're going to want to have something to do with it. And of course, that also expands the question of, well, what happens to those other collegiate conferences that popped up? Is there going to be competition between the two or is there going to be one set for uh, one one set of teams and then or one set of schools and then another rule set for another who follow the NCA? There's a, a lot of question marks that are going to come down the pike um, in this issue of regulation. And is anyone kind of closely looking at that or um, owning that at the moment or is everybody kind of waiting <laughs> for somebody I, else to? I'd say they're they're waiting and trying at the same time to develop their own type of regulation within their own conference. Um, th they've seen such substantial growth over the past couple of years. I think that they're trying to keep their heads above water with a lot of the back office operations, knowing if the, the players are eligible, the scheduling and all that stuff. Um, so in terms of regulation, I think they kind of put it on the back burner and like the cybersecurity, it, it might take, um, you know, maybe one big event for them to say, maybe we need to focus on the regulation aspect more, make sure that whoever is signing in is who they say they are um, or this team is who they say they are because they're not in front of your face anymore in college. They're competing over the Internet and everybody's not complete competing on a physical field of play anymore. Um, so I guess that kind of um, feeds on nicely to to kind of, uh, I, I guess, your work and, you know, maybe some of the challenges that you're seeing when it comes to, um, you know, kind of advising on, on that piece. Um, what are kind of some of the, well, what would be really interesting is kind of how did this like come about for you guys? Like, how did you get started? Um, and what are some of the key challenges that you're seeing when it comes to kind of advising on this esports and, and the taxation of that? Josh, that's so, you, buddy. Yeah, so how this all got started, um, you know, I started the sports and entertainment niche of the firm about 10 years ago uh, with uh, my colleague, Harris Solis. Um, we took everything we love outside of accounting and said, this is what we want to do. And this is the industry we want to be in. And, you know, luckily enough, with them is very entrepreneurial with how they treat their staff. So they said, put together a business plan. It will prove it. And here's $10,000, go run with it, see who you can meet in the industry. And uh, five years later, I mentioned esports to, I think I was the youngest person in the room by about 15 years. And <laughs> all the partners looked at me and laughed and said, you can't make money playing video games. And I said, yes, you can. You know, this is, this is where the world's going. You know, it's starting to grow. You're starting to see professional athletes put money in there. I think at that point, Robert Kraft and Tom Brady had just invested in their first esports team uh the will ponds had just uh who owned the mets at that point had just came out with uh myxl um so you're starting to see these teams pop up here and there um and it was getting traction but you know just like any new industry you know it takes a lot for people to wrap their heads around it to this day and age i still think that if i brought it into a room of you know people that are 15 years older than me, they'd still look at me and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And But now we could say, look, it's a $2 billion industry going to be a $4 billion industry. Here's the here's the metrics. And, you know, that it's come a whole long way from there. 
Um, thankfully, you know, Mike reached out about two years ago saying I have a huge esports passion and this is something I want to do. So Mike is is the co-leader with me on the esports niche, which which is great because uh, I love working with the guy. Uh, we have a lot of fun together working on all this stuff. But yeah, it's certainly come a, it's come a long way. Um, and there's a long way to still go. Um, you know, they're still behind all older professional sports, or I'll say established professional sports in, in the U.S. Um, but it, esports is probably the easiest sport to grow because you don't need weather. You don't need, you know, pandemic hits. They can keep playing. Yeah. Um, no injuries. No. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there are well, there are major injuries. Purple tunnel. Repetitive strain. I was about to say. <laughs> but that's actually, you know, I'm glad you brought up injuries because that is an area where there's major need of help. Uh, the insurance side hasn't really caught up to professional esports yet. I know from a few insurance companies that I've, I've talked to, they've been looking at this. Um, there was an L, uh, I think it was an LPL player who tore all of his ligaments in his thumb. He was their jungler for for League of Legends. That's the fourth guy who goes up and wanders around for anyone who doesn't know League of Legends. Um, and he tore all his thing of his ligaments in his thumb. He was their best player, but he didn't have insurance and he had to retire because he can't click anymore. Um, it, it took a long time for collegiate athletes to understand insurance from a football aspect i believe it was about three or four years ago there was one nf uh one collegiate player who was slated to be a first rounder had the proper insurance in place where if he got hurt in college and slowed down the draft he'd still be protected he blew out his knee in a bowl and was drafted i think in the fourth round but because he had the insurance in place he got the price tag of 20 million dollars which is what a first rounder gets so he still was able to protect himself from that standpoint um you know, there's currently no draft, so it's hard to put evaluation on that. But if you're making a million dollars or two million dollars a year playing esports, just to take out some insurance to protect yourself in case you get carpal tunnel or you tear ligaments or, you know, your eyesight goes, you know, they need to. That's just another layer of understanding that needs needs to happen. <laughs> you know, esports now is you know is where football was for college 130 years ago. You know, right. I'm sure the same conversations were had where it's, you know, you had some guy bring up, hey, why don't we institute a football team into college? And you know, the old guys are saying, you know, football, it's a game. Like, why would we? Why do we need that at university? It's kind of the same aspect. And as esports will evolve in the collegiate circuit, in the amateur circuit. The insurance aspect and all other financial aspects are going to evolve with it. But, you know, like Josh said, it's not there yet, but it will get there. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, like insurance piece, do you guys take an advisory role? Um, you know, are you kind of strongly recommending these things? Do you have insurance partners who are kind of progressive in this space that you would recommend? And um, how does that advisory piece kind of so, work for you? You know, with any of our athletes, we want to work with all their partners on there, you know, a, you, when you're a professional athlete, you have to have all your pieces connect. You know, you have to have your accountants speak with your wealth managers, speak with the insurance guys to make sure we're all on the same page to protect the athlete. Mm -hmm. um, it's no different here. Um, luckily, we do have insurance companies that we are able to talk to about this, that handle professional sports and are well are well aware of esports and 
I know one has actually put together a policy in esports previously. Um, but yeah, we we are we are the advisory piece. You know, we we don't sell insurance; it's not our expertise. But we know to ask a professional athlete, "Hey, do you have insurance? You know, are you covered?" Um, and then at least start the conversation um, because we want to protect our clients at the end of the day at all costs. You know, we're not just your accountant. You know, we want to. We're more than that. We're we want to be the trusted advisor for all of our clients and make sure that we understand everything about their companies, everything about their lifestyles, and you know. We want to protect them. Whether or not we we have the expertise to handle that, we have built a network of trusted professionals that you know we are able to refer to and, and call upon to make sure that our clients are protected. Amazing. Well, there's an incredible opportunity, isn't there? You know, whilst we talked around some of the gaps that can be seen in kind of how the regulation is keeping up and so on, you know, those gaps also provide the perfect opportunity for you guys to step in where it is all relatively new and say, look, you know, these are the things that you might not have thought about that, you know, we've seen before, we understand and you should be thinking about. So um, incredible opportunity. Um, and I guess um, with that in mind, we'd be keen to know, is there any kind of advice, I guess, for other uh, HLB firms that perhaps kind of uh, kind of dabbling in this space or uh, kind of considering any advice that you might have in terms of kind of starting out or key challenges or uh, any words of wisdom i would i would say for any of our affiliates to um always just think athlete and client centric on this right the the care for the athlete comes first and foremost before anything and and not to to take this industry seriously because the market is taking it very very seriously and and not to not to sleep on it because it's it's coming up quickly and it's going to be growing and growing and growing and it doesn't look like there's any signs of it slowing down anytime soon so i would say for those firms to prepare for it look into it and and take it seriously i would also say download one of the games and try it out yourself because understanding the games and understanding how these players play and make money you know, watch a couple of Twitch streams, uh, you know, it goes a long way when speaking with your clients, you know, to understand the entire industry. You know, Mike, Mike and I, I'll say we're lucky we grew up playing games. So, you know, we have a major passion for this and, yes. and we love this inside and out. Um, and, you know, when you can connect what you love with your clients and just get that additional level of appreciation and understanding with them, that goes a, a long way as well. Yeah, the passion for the these these athletes have such a passion for the industry. Even the administrators and the and the, the league commissioners, they're all very passionate about esports and and video mm -hmm. games in general. And and the fact that we share that passion, you meet on level ground. You know, so mm -hmm. if you have that passion, this is going to be a very interesting and very dynamic industry going forward. Amazing. Um, well, yeah, I, um, you know, really, really um, uh, interesting and exciting summary of kind of this space and and where it's headed and kind of your guys' experience with it. So, um, you know, really appreciate your uh, your insight and your expertise. Um, it's something that was kind of fairly new to me, and it's just been really fascinating, kind of getting into the detail and and understanding your work. So, thanks for sharing that with me. Um, really appreciate your time, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Really appreciate yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.